listening to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Tuesday, August 15th. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley. We're joined by Pete Sampson. Notre Dame's preseason camp is complete. That doesn't mean all the physicality is gone, but a large portion of the hitting is in the past as Notre Dame starts to prepare for the Naval Academy. Guys, we met with uh, Marcus Freeman on Saturday, talked about a variety of topics. Tim O'Malley, uh, your thoughts from from the weekend? I believe um, glad that he mentioned. You know, we've been working on been working on Navy a lot longer than just starting this week. Because if not, as you know from the past, there's going to be some weird stuff happening in that game. And I keep looking at this game like I know Pete's going to make a face right now, but I think that Navy having this much time to prepare for Notre Dame, it's just going to look a little different at times for Notre Dame. I can't see his face. He's covering it. I'm sorry. I I go back to what Brian Kelly said. Like when I make an adjustment to Ken, he would say coach Ken, he has 10 adjustments off my adjustment. And this is just going to be a little different. I think Notre Dame's going to look a lot better in games two, three, and four, even in NC state, the Navy, I think, I think Navy is tough to play and not hard to beat. I just think they're tough to play in this game. They're going to have plenty of things. Notre Dame hasn't seen the way Notre Dame ha- handled Ohio state preparation last year is what Navy has done for Notre Dame. Let me put it that way. Notre Dame put eight months into Ohio state. Yeah. Look, they've, I'm sure Navy will have some stuff that Notre Dame has not seen because they have a new offensive coordinator from Kennesaw state, which was, it's still option based. Um, but at, when I sat down with Jack Kaiser last week for that film review, he was like volunteered it. So like, I love playing against Navy because if you do your job, it pretty much, you know, where the ball is going to go. You can force the ball to go where you want it to go, opposed to where they want it to go. With this amount of experience at linebacker and an old defensive line, like, this this Notre Dame defense is set up to handle Navy. Um, if and if Notre Dame cannot figure that out, sh- sort of shame on them is what I would say. Like that's, yeah. I mean, come on. They they know how they want to attack their offense with their four four uh, front. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you're absolutely right. Now Notre Dame's not the only team that has struggled against Navy in the past. So I mean, it's not it's not just Notre Dame at times they can be problematic. I mean, the bigger issue is what Navy's going to do defensively and how Notre Dame's offensive line with their two, two guards handle the pressure up front, which obviously Brian Newberry, that, I mean, that's going to be, I don't know if you can, you can attack the line of scrimmage for an entire 60 minutes. Like Navy I don't think you can because of Sam Hartman. If Drew yeah, Pine was there, yeah. there would be an issue. Yeah, no, look, I mean, Drew Pine, like if you watch, go back and watch some of that game, like they hit them on zero blitz for touchdowns in the first half. Yeah, first half. They just like their quarterback just went into the fetal position in the second yeah. half. Like instead of hitting Audrey Estime on that arrow route or throwing the ball up to Braden Lindsay, like five yards behind him and making him pin the ball on the DB's back. Like Sam Hartman should have no problem making those throws. No, I mean, it's I like agree. when you want like, Drew Pine against the Blitz last year, he made some plays, but often it was because the receiver bailed him out or Michael Mayer bailed him out. I don't like Sam Hartman should make the play and let the receiver run under it or run to it. So I don't, I don't know. It's like if they struggle against Navy, it may be ominous for the season. I don't think they're going to struggle against Navy. We don't know for sure 
I, I don't think Navy has picked a starting quarterback. They want to throw the football a little bit more. They're supposed to use two, according to the last update yeah. by Bill Wagner. Uh, is it Hor uh, Blake Horboth has entered the picture? That wasn't yep. a guy that I necessarily expected to be in the picture. Xavier Arline is uh, a veteran. Ty Lavatai is still it's, there. It's, it's Lavatai and um, Horvath. Also, and what about Gleaton? Because he was a he was just according to the, uh, just according to the article he wrote last on yesterday. It's it's yeah. those two. So a little bit of a guessing game there, and um, Navy has a five foot eight, two hundred five pound list as as tailback now. Uh, Daba Fofana who's got a little bit of ability to him, but we're going to look, we're, we're going to let's not get too deep into Navy here uh, ahead of time. we got plenty of time to talk about them, but uh, yeah, to, to your point, Tim, uh, they're not just starting their preparation for yeah. Navy. Pete, your thoughts from, from uh, Marcus Freeman Saturday. You know, I thought that they're, he it was still pretty general. Um, you know, we, when we asked about the guard stuff, he, what I want to know is like, well, okay, why is, why is Coogan ahead of Shrouth? And he, he didn't answer that at all. Yeah, um, I don't think he's going to. I think we're going to be looking at uh, Jared Parker and Al Golden for these answers. All yeah, year. which is fine. We'll hopefully we'll get it next week. But um, there's got he he just didn't really explain that. Um, you know, I I feel like he was asked a little bit about the receiver position. I think um, you know didn't really lean into that one. Um, but I but I do think look when he he talked about competitive fire and energy earlier in the press conference. And like the subtext there clearly is not everyone has it. Um, not, a, not to his liking. So who, who that is or what position that is, I don't really know. Um, but I think watching practices, you, you would like to see a little bit more of that maybe from a receiver or two. Um, so that, that maybe was a bit of a takeaway, but overall, you know, it's like, the physicality of camp or the trash talking of camp, like those are, those are August stories that when the season starts, we sort of never mention them again. Yeah. I, you know, I would think that, and Tim, I think you agree here that the reason those two guys, if we're looking for a reason and we haven't, we didn't get the definitive answer from Marcus Freeman. I would just say that the comparative physicality of the guards, I, I just, you know, Billy Trout is going to be, is there any doubt? I, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any doubt he's going to be a a, a top-notch offensive lineman, top-notch offensive guard. Yep. But Coogan's been in the program for a year longer. And although his weight is listed as less than Shrouth, I think he's more stout right now. I think he's got more push. There's no doubt that Spindler has an yep. improved uh, – Rocco Spindler has more more physicality and push than than Andrew Kristoffic. And the only other option that they've looked at at this point, it's not Michael Carmody, it, it's – Charles Jagaso was getting some reps with the second team. So I think it's a physicality thing. And I'm I'm going to go under that assumption until we hear something more definitive as to why those two guys won the job. Uh, we I, obviously after Saturday's practice in our instant analysis, we talked about Bauman out for the season, Gobira out for the season, Eli Raritan close. We don't anticipate him being ready for week one, but but probably sometime in in September. And then Marcus Freeman talked about the linebackers. Uh, we know the front runners, but they have to have somebody to spell them. Sneed, Bowen, and Osbury. He made a point of saying that Bowen and Osbury are very much in the mix there. I'll, you know, those, the starters have to come off the field sometime. 
but I think that they're going to be reluctant to do that as opposed to throwing in, you know, freshman linebackers and Sneed Sneed is really a pass rusher, not a not a linebacker per se. And that's uh talking to somebody who was at the practice on or the scrimmage on Saturday, like Kaiser, Bertrand, Leah, they did not play a lot. Um, it was a lot of Osbury, a lot of Bowen, which maybe had something to do with like, you know, why the running game hit as much as it did. Um, but I, you know, those guys are Sneed, I think is a guy that has gone from a total wild card who were like, are you, can you, what can you get out of him? We're not really sure to, okay. You, you know, you can get an explosive break glass linebacker um, who can give you something a little bit off the edge and push the envelope in terms of how physical you can be. So I think those are, those are positives. Um, and then, uh, you know, talking to sort of people who were witness on Saturday, um, Jeremiah Love looked fantastic, did have the oh, one yeah. turnover, which they put on video. Um, the one turnover that counted, I should say, because um, it sounded like Sam Hartman threw a pick that Marcus Freeman was like, no, no, he got sacked. Um, so he should that do that. He count. should do that against Ohio State. Yeah, no, yeah, right. No, no, no. It it didn't really work for uh, taking the the heat for Tyler Buckner in the spring game on that pick, though. So I don't. I don't. At some point, you just got to let the let the play go. Um, and then, you know, other than that, like Jordan Faison, it was all against the twos. But I think we've seen enough of him from camp to think like, all right, I don't know what Notre Dame has something there, but they have something worth exploring because um, that dude is lightning quick and apparently was very difficult for the second team defense to to cover and I, I think it's important what pete mentions now they know they have something in sneed because last year this time doesn't count only for fans he was nowhere near the field last year at this time and it took him a while to get near the field like we see only snippets of camp all right so when i make the jokes and this is not a joke it's true that matt salerno had two of the three best catches in camp in again one-on-ones jalen sneed had three of the four hardest hits i saw in camp there is no doubt about it jalen sneed brings it when he hits you they just got to make sure he has a role where he can bring it on those plays. I think we we've we never confirmed that he was at fault on those two misdirections or the wheel route in the misdirection. It would seem pretty obvious he was the easy touchdowns that were scored against him that Tuesday. You can mitigate that though by not having him in there on a first and ten situation at the twenty five yard line where teams can scheme like that. So. They have the linebackers to make him a situational player. It would be huge if he is. Um, there was a great question on the board, how many snaps, because that feels like a crazy wild guess. But if you think of it this way, Jaden Mickey started one game last year, played a lot, had a little bit of a mini run in the middle where he didn't play a bunch, and he had 250 snaps. I mean, I think Jalen Sneed could play more than 250 snaps this year. Mickey started a game, though. Remember that that emergency there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Chris, I think I Chris Smith that. had three. Chris Smith had almost 300 snaps. Do you remember Chris Smith playing 300 snaps? Wow, sure don't. Sure, that's don't. why I think Snead can get the over in terms of a defensive line position. Interesting. Uh, Nolan Zig Ziggler was at practice on Saturday. We're going under the assumption that he was just in attendance. That's good news. Um, nothing further on that for right now. Marcus Freeman talked about gave a lot of credit to L. Washington being the energy provider. And, um, you know, the uptick along the defensive line, at least that, that's what it looks like in the preseason. Hopefully that carries over into the, the regular season. And on Saturday, Marcus Freeman said that within 24 to 48 hours, the captains would be named. And he was accurate on offense, Hartman and Alt on defense, 
Hart and J.D. Bertrand, the 27th two-time captain in Notre Dame history. Thoughts on the four? I think we That's... expected there could be more. Four is a good number. I think, you know, look, every team determines what they need from a leadership standpoint. So our opinion on it, I don't think matters. But from the perspective of a true distinction of being a Notre Dame captain, I think four is a good number. O'Malley, your opinion doesn't matter, but could we get your opinion on this? <laughs> yeah, they, they, uh, well, they practiced what Brian Kelly preached, but didn't practice. He used to say when his best players were captains, I like it when my best players were captains. And sometimes he would not have his best players as captains, and then he wouldn't say those things. But <laughs> Sam Hartman, Joel, Cam Hart, and J.D. Bertrand are in the post-camp top eight for all of us. Eight, if you're t- best players you saw. In oh, camp, yeah. Like, just, yeah, and knowing what you know about them. So there's that's a... Yeah, definitely. I mean, Cam Hart's looked fantastic. Yeah, I don't I don't need I don't need sort of a patch on, you know, Michael Vincent's jersey to know like, okay, he's he's important to the roster. He's important yeah. to the locker room. Um, but I'm I'm maybe a little bit older school. I'm just like I think the best players should be captains. Um they don't like need Brian to be the Kelly old, think sometimes, right? They don't need to be the <laughs> oldest players. Um, but give me the best players and Hart, Hartman, Alt, and Bertrand. I mean, I think Hartman being a captain is significant. He's the first sort of immediate captain transfer um, that they've had. And I don't think that we've even considered the op- the possibility of like Jack Cohn or Ben Skoranek, um, you know, or, or any of these other sort of previous grad transfers being being captains, even if they were frontline players. So I think it says a lot about how the roster sees Hart or sees Hartman. Um, and if the roster sees him that way, then I think there's a pretty good chance that we'll all sort of see him play that way in a week from a week from Saturday. Having, having been in a position where uh, I counted votes for captains and then announced who the captains were the, the coaching staff, you know, the coaching staff obviously ultimately has control over who you name. You don't know. Players don't know how close the voting was. Um, you know, in, in years past, have there been seven because the voting was so close? Or are there other reasons behind it? I just, I think it's, I don't think it's a bad thing that that Sam Hartman is the captain, one of your captains. I, I, no, I don't know. You can, you can interpret that as, you can interpret that as, oh, well, they didn't have enough captain choices from the other players. Sam Hartman's a leader. I hell we knew Sam Hartman was a leader when he was a freshman in 2018 and he was competing his butt off and getting his butt kicked at Wake Forest when they were playing Notre Dame. So again, ultimately the team knows what they they should have, who they want. Uh and I think the I I think those four guys are really good are really good choices. I think Michael Vinson certainly would have been a good choice or so we think based upon the way his teammates respond to him. But those four are four of the best players on the team, and I think they're good choices. And you could be a well-respected leader on a team that's not a team captain that stands out in front of the media and addresses the team in the same way. Because, Pete, you mentioned Jack Cohn. After watching the whole season, is there a better teammate for Notre Dame history than a guy oh, that gets benched no, that many great. times and just keeps coming back and continues to teach the kid or the players that are bleeding? But he was them. and he was un, he was unflappable. I mean, what a he, prince. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was great. It was too bad he didn't come back for another year or wasn't able to come back for another year. And to your point, Tim Nano Safamensa is a leader on this team, but he's not named a captain. And part of that is 
Maybe because he's not one of the better better players, one of the best players on the team. I, I don't know. but Maybe he came in fifth, you know? Maybe he came in fifth yeah, and Bill, exactly. Bill came in sixth. That's, it's... He'll, he'll lead in his way, and that'll be a good thing. And then who not, maybe he's maybe he's back next year. Probably not, but, you know, maybe he's in that situation. Anyway, moving on. Coming up, segment two, burning up the boards. Some things are just made for each other, like tailgates and touchdowns. We're adding one more pair to the list, Aer Lingus and college football. Join us in Dublin this August for the Aer Lingus College Football Classic. Too soon? Plan your winter or spring break now with non-stop flights from cities including Chicago, Boston, Los Angeles and New York. Fly in comfort to Dublin, our European hub. Go coast to coast and discover the sights of Ireland or explore any of the 50 plus European cities we connect to, including Amsterdam, London, Paris and Rome. Visit Aerlingus.com to book today. If you're coming to a game this season, you have to check out Game Day Your Way, the official tailgate service provider of Notre Dame. Game Day Your Way offers everything you need, including tailgate gear, catering, and even beverage delivery right to your spot. And their Irish Express transportation from Chicago allows you to tailgate while you travel to their all-inclusive party zone in South Bend. Let Game Day deal with all the hassle so you can focus on the fun. For tailgates, tickets, transportation, and more, visit GameDayYourWay.com. Welcome back to segment two, Burning Up the Boards. First question is from Mach 127. There's been a lot of talk about the wide receivers underperforming in fall camp. What have they been lacking? Is it physicality off the line, route running effort on each play, contested catching ability? What else? I don't, I mean, I don't think any of us have said that the the wide receiver room is underperforming. I haven't said that about Tyree or Flores or Great House or Salerno or Thomas or Faison. No, it's two very important receivers to the equation, and that's Merriweather and Colsey. And so is it physicality off the line, route running effort, each play, contested catching ability? Yes, all of those. I think contested catching ability would be our Tobias Merriweather complaint. And physicality off the line or physicality overall might be my Deion Colsey complaint, Pete. Yeah, it's it's fair. Like, you know, the thing is with Merriweather is like, you, even though he's just one catch, I feel like we know he has it in him. Like, it's like he's got all the attributes or dare I say the traits to be a very, very good receiver at Notre Dame. And at this point, either we would have liked to have seen it or talking to people who are at practices than weren't when we're not, I would have liked them to have seen it. And I'm, I haven't heard either of those things. So could it all happen against Navy for sure? Um, and I think that Tobias Merrither will start against Navy. The starting receivers will be Jaden Thomas, Tobias Merrither and Chris Tyree. But you know, that doesn't mean you're automatically going to be productive. I think it's important to note, Priester, that Jaden Thomas at this point last year was viewed as what is wrong with him. The Marshall game, they threw a swing pass to him. He needed to get two yards. He got a third of a foot. He fell yeah. down upon first contact, and then he became a player. So I think that can be the path of Merriweather. But we had a question on our board that I really want to point out. Someone said, I don't remember you guys raving about Chase Claypool and Miles Boykin in their breakout years. Chase Claypool was a best player in the entire team his breakout year and he made a fourth round draft pick look foolish for an entire camp yeah so that person you can't make plays at wide receiver yeah look i'm not i'm i i agree with everything you're saying merriweather can emerge he's going to be given every opportunity to do so so if he makes plays then that will be an improvement over what has been seen in the preseason i don't think 
there isn't any doubting on the intel and the feedback that we've got on what kind of camps they've had. That's accurate. Can they rise above that? Absolutely. They have the ability to do it, especially Merriweather. And he will be given every opportunity to prove that. I don't know that Colsey necessarily will at this stage. But Mary against Navy, Tobias Merriweather should be targeted downfield eight times. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So it's not the whole wide receiver room. It's two specific players that are very important to the equation. And can they break out? Absolutely, because they have the ability. They haven't done it in the last three weeks. Maybe isolated incidents, but not on a consistent basis. Question from Indy 11. With so many panicking about the wide receivers, do you think that opening with Navy, Tennessee State, and Central Michigan, we'll come back to that, all ranked in the bottom four in your DB first rate series, basically gives Notre Dame an extended training camp for three more weeks for the receivers and Tobias Merriweather to develop and gain some confidence. Indy 11 misspoke or miswrote. They don't play Central Michigan in game three. They play at NC State, but point taken, at least with Navy and Tennessee State. Yes, I think this is true for, go ahead, for everybody, right? Like this is this is how schedules are built for playoff contenders. Like you have a you have an on-ramp to getting to the hard stuff. So I think this is true for the receivers. I think it's true for the offensive guards. I think it's true for the safety that's not Xavier Watts. Um, I think it's true for Tui Halamaka and Josh Burnham as the backup Vipers. Um, I think it's true for Jared Parker being an offense coordinator at Notre Dame. Like it's it's just by chance, um, it's a good schedule to build towards Ohio State. Um, with even just sort of like the ramp up to NC State in week three being part of it as well. So um, it's not just about the receivers. I, I would say it's just a smart schedule across the board. I would say it's a good buildup. It would be a better buildup if NC State and Central Michigan were flip-flopped. Central Michigan is the fourth game before NC State. Maybe you wouldn't want NC State and Ohio State back-to-back. Uh, NC State, by the way, uh, who is the third opponent, they finished in the top 20 and four pass defense categories last year. So they were pretty good. They had some pretty substantial losses in the secondary. But again, the point taken, certainly there will be opportunities to throw the football against Navy and Tennessee State. And uh, yeah, Tobias Merriweather should absolutely be targeted a lot to try to get him to get him jump started. Next question is K Huff 8740 on the last podcast. Priester stated he thought returning punts was a good role for Chris Tyree. Can you explain more on why you think this? I know he's fast, but my perception is that he goes down upon first contact. Well, because I don't think he's going to drop any punts. Okay. That I, we, nobody wants to hear that, but that is a starting point. I don't think he's going to drop any punts. And I don't, I mean, I still think, I still think that in the, that that's, you got a guy flying down at him. It just takes one little tiny wiggle by a great athlete to avoid the first guy making a tackle. I still think he's a good choice. And I, I know he's it, been tripped up a ton out of the backfield. It's not a handoff. It's a punt. The dynamics of it are a little bit different. I think he's a good choice. Don't you mean he's been a little banged up in camp? Um, I don't, but the first game is two weeks away. Um, I would like, I know people are not in love with putting Salerno back there. I think he would be fine. Um, who I'd really like to see is great house. Yeah. Uh, Cause I just think like 
the physicality that he has back there. Like, I'm okay. I'm not comparing him to Michael Floyd returning punts, but it's going to sound like I'm comparing him to Michael Floyd returning punts, just as like a receiver who it's not so much like the, the making a guy miss is running through arm tackles. I feel like Jaden Greathouse is going to, would run through a ton of out of control gunner arm tackles. If he was returning punts, assuming that he could catch it at a very, very, very high rate. I agree. Pete and I sat there at the last open practice and we decided on ourselves that Jaden Greathouse is the perfect mix in between a guy like Salerno and Tyree because he will catch the ball and make some plays. So it will not be Greathouse, I don't think. I think it will be Chris Tyree. But and I think Matt Salerno will be the safe punt returner instead of Greathouse. But I love I love the notion of Greathouse to nerd out in terms of Notre Dame enjoyment watching things. I think it would be pretty cool. I totally agree with you, Pete, that that would be. No first contact falling down for Jaden Greathouse. That's I yep. think he runs through that stuff. He uses stiff arms well. We saw it in practice. That's my guy to do it. It'll be Chris Tyree. His time will come though, right? Greathouse. Yeah. It may not yeah. it may not be this year, but his time will come. I, I agree with everything that you're saying about him. But if you don't have to throw a true freshman back there to start the season, you know, you probably don't want to. But I I I mean I have confidence too. I think he would I think he would probably hit the ground running, but we haven't seen every every punt punt return in, in preseason camp. Also, it's important to note, like we, we keep saying this is devalued punt and kickoff return. You can get touchdowns and punt return. The top 20 teams still do, but like the number one punt return unit was Duke last year. They had one touchdown. They averaged 20 yards return. They only had 13 returns. That's one per game. Alabama had 27 returns. And I think I can tell you why there's a lot of possessions of those Alabama games. Where they get the ball back from the other team quite a bit. They had two touchdowns and were they were the best, like real top tier team. Two touchdowns, 16, almost 17 yards of return. South Carolina was up there. Notre Dame faced them. But it's it's one and a half a game. It's one and a half a game is the number you look for for punt return. So it's there is really it's like there's chances you know to return Alabama, it. You just you have no chance. They they want to fair catch it and keep it safe. That's what it's gonna be. Do you do you know why Alabama had 27 punt returns? Why is that? Have, because they have Alabama personnel returning punts. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess no, that doesn't work though, because people will say that Chris Tyree should be. Re- I mean, that's Notre Dame will do be safe punt a little more. Nebraska returned five punts last year. They were eighth in the country in terms of return yardage. That's why I suppose. Um, but they had a they had a touchdown and they had zero point four yards reach. This is the best way of looking at it. Return yards per game led the nation. Okay, per game, two point five. Pittsburgh led the country with return punt return yards per game at 2.5 because they all average zero when you fair catch. Oh, I see what you're saying now. Okay. Well, Notre Dame was fifth. Notre Dame was fifth one, in the country. Any one of those, <laughs> any one of those three guys, Great House, Salerno, and Tyree would will and would do the job just yep. fine this year. Question. Next, what, go ahead, Pete. There, Tim. Uh, uh, ben Dorch can't help but think, and in parentheses, Ben Dorch says dream. About a fully healthy Eli Raritan paired with Holden stays on the field at the same time. Thoughts on this happening regularly? Also, how many snaps per game do you predict for Jeremiah Love? Eli Raritan, we're probably not going to see a whole bunch of them against Navy and probably then not against Tennessee State. That'd be wise, don't you think? I would. I That's mean, I kind of feel it. like if, if Eli Raritan after the first by was activated like i think and it 
that would be fine. Like, it'd be great if it happened sooner. Um, I mean, it looks like a million bucks just sort of standing there in a uniform. But the second ACL, I mean, like, you not yeah. don't rush that back, please. Um, so dreaming about Raritan and stays out there together. Um, I think you're going to see a heck of a lot more of that, in, of that in 2024 than maybe you would in 2023. But I, I'm with you that, like, as a tandem, man, that's there's a lot. A lot to like there, Jeremiah Love. I would love to see him get eight to ten snaps a game. That would oh, probably that that's fantastic. probably a lot uh, yeah. for him. But um, yeah, maybe five snaps a game would be a better better marker there. We're talking. You can also Dylan be get into our future punt returner uh, conversation as yes. well. Yes. Well, he's yeah. the fifth guy right now behind yeah. Mickey. Uh, the Jane, fourth, it seems like. Mickey was returning punts uh, as well this this camp. We'll we'll talk to Dale McCall and I'll ask him about the eight positions he or eight roles he has for his five running backs, because yeah. I would love to have Jeremiah love have one of those roles. Um, one thing on Eli Raritan. Now this was very beginning of the season of the preseason here. So July 27th. Did you rush it back from the first ACL? Yeah, maybe a little bit. I could tell a few things like this kind of hurts today. I'd say I felt pretty good last year. I felt better. I felt better than I, I felt pretty good last week. I feel better than I did this year. I think that's partly of what the surgery was like. The torn patella tendon I had this time takes longer. That's the player talking about how he might have rushed back and how things still bother him. So uh, I yeah. think Pete week five, instead of throwing out week five, I'm throwing out week four to assimilate to the sport. And then week five is Ohio state. That would yeah. be great. You know, I mean, I think it's a great question because Raritan, I, I, let's just say a fully healthy Eli Raritan and Holden stays on the field together. That's a, that's a dangerous tandem. The best, the better block, the best blocker of the two is Raritan, but he's all, I mean, they are both such dynamic pass catching threats that, uh, yeah, that would be interesting. And I, I agree, Tim, that it's, you know, more likely to see, a something extensive with those pair, um, moving forward. Jeremiah Love, I, I let, let's just see what, I mean, I don't think we really know how heavily or lightly he is in the mix right now in terms of snaps and what they're doing offensively. So I don't know. It's hard for me to put a number on it, uh, but certainly the Navy game, you'd like to see him have opportunities, but if he, since he fumbled the other day, um, you know, you're going to be cautious because you don't want Navy getting momentum when Navy gets momentum against Notre Dame, some bad things can happen and you can feel awfully uncomfortable. How'd you when you're up 40 to 10 in the fourth quarter, like get him some reps. Oh, yes. yeah. That, oh, no, yeah. No, no, I that. think that's no the doubt case about too. That. No doubt. Next question is Rye Guy 0917. Priester to the pickups of Garrett Sunder and Sir Muhammad. Change your skepticism about the Shrewsbury era at all. I did not know you had skepticism about the entire era, Tim. With the Penn State commits going to Notre Dame and early recruiting wins, clearly good players want to play for him. No, I, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say I have some skepticism about well, this year is going to be, this year is not going to be pretty at all. Um, you know, and I, I mean, Penn I State, it's prettier than last year. Yeah. I, uh, three wins. Uh, you, th you think three wins and nobody caring the entire time? Well, I get that. The caring I mean, will be different. Caring. Yeah. I, I mean, surpassing. You can three win three games by caring wins. more. <laughs> yeah. Look, um, I don't know. I mean, Mike Bray did. He did recruit and bring in, he did get Blake Wesley, JJ Starling, and Van Allen Lubin, did he not? Just like in the last couple of years. I mean, what what are we talking about here? Let's not 
it was time for a change and Mike Bray was not a consistent recruiter, but let's not act like he didn't just bring in those three players in particular were, were great players, but forget that. Um, Garrett Sundra doesn't start on his high school team. It's a really, really good high school team. And it's a really deep team and I'm watching film of them. And it's like, no, nope, he's not in the game. He's not in the game. He's not in the game. Oh, there he is. He's out of the game. He's out of the game. He's not in the game. Garrett Sunder has a long way to go. I don't care what his rating is. Now, Sir Muhammad is Tim. Did you did you watch him or did you see my film review of him? Yeah, I did. You said uh, that's he's a different cat, huh? He, I mean, there are so many things about his game to like, and there are a lot of things about his game to question. He's not. I don't think that he's a great shooter. It's kind of a set shooter type of approach. Um, you know, he's not beat you off the dribble quick or anything like that. Cause he's six, six, but that's a captain of your team. That's a leader of your team. That's a guy who plays basketball because he wants the other four players around him to excel. And so those are, those are qualities that you, it's really difficult to teach those kind of qualities. So, you know, I mean, I think Sundra is a, a decent prospect, sort is a great shooter, but not sure about quickness. Yeah, some good things are happening, but I but let's it was time for Mike Bray to it was time for that era to end, but not much has changed with Nordane men's basketball right now because they don't have they don't have a very good roster. And what what has just been recruited is no better than what Mike Bray recruited with those three great players that I mentioned. Let me first of all, Blake Wesley is not in this equation, but here is the irony of the end of the Mike Bray era. His all-time ranked recruits at Notre Dame over this is 23 years, right? 24-7 sports. On his last team, his team that won three games, the team that got him that where he was fired or where he resigned, were players in the history of his recruiting at Notre Dame ranked 1, 5, 9, 11, 12, and 14. On the last team. Those guys were all on the roster. One, five, nine, eleven, twelve, and fourteen. Not, not, not like ranking within a class, but all time well, ranking. Yeah, at Notre Dame, his number one ranked player in the history of Notre Dame was JJ Starling. His fifth, his ninth, his eleventh, his twelfth, okay. his fourteenth were on the right. team that it made him resign. So his recruiting actually picked up. And that doesn't include Blake Wesley. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why you would be skeptical about Michael Shrewsbury or think anyone's skeptical of Michael Shrewsbury. He's just got he, – the reason he signed a long-term contract with Notre Dame is like this is a long-term turnaround. Like I, I pretty much like everything that's happened so far. He's been a head coach on this level for two yeah. years. So let's just, let's just give, a, give him a moment, um, maybe even a few years. But he seems like he's got a lot going for him. And like if he's developing – like – the problem is like that the class with Lashesky and Goodwin and Hub, like the problem wasn't the recruiting operation, it was the development operation. And I think Shrewsbury will be much better at the development operation. The recruiting operation is, will be fine too. I, to I that's what I agree with. I agree with that as well. But I mean, he's been a head coach for two years. Penn State finished. 510th in the league last year with a very, very veteran basketball team that finally put it all together in the postseason, which obviously ultimately is what how teams are remembered because that's how that's how mm -hmm. people are viewing Penn State now. And they're not looking at 10 and 10. That's the larger body of work. 
end of the season is what matters the most. Totally get that. Think about Mike Bray's second to last year, end of the season. They won two NCAA tournament games around the doorstep of the Sweet 16 and brought everybody back, except for Blake Wesley, who mattered a little bit, I guess. But think about that. That was the second to last year for Mike Bray. Could not have ended better after an up and down season. Right, right, right. Hey, I'm. I look, I'm all in, man. I, I mean, let, let let's go. I can't. I'm looking forward to the start of the. Well, that's the thing. Era. Everybody has something to look forward to right now. That's the fair and to be totally fair to Mike Bray. No one was looking forward to this season if he was still here. It's just not possible. I agree. No, I agree. I I understand that. I understand that perspective. But let's not alter reality. That's right. all I'm saying. Uh, this is my favorite question, and we're gonna spend a lot of time on it. Okay, <laughs> Irish from A two. Pick one statistic that you would like to see Notre Dame lead the country in for 2023. He says, excluding wins, I have to say you have to exclude scoring offense and scoring defense as well. Okay. Okay. Because that's just yeah. kind of, you know, uh, kind of a boring answer. I mean, I think I, w- I think I would say this. Look, there, there, there are several categories. It would be great to yeah. lead the country in. I would start with yards per rush defensively. If you're controlling the line of scrimmage, yeah, that that football team has a chance to be really, really good. Yard- we should have we should have draft we should have rephrased this question where we had a, a five statistic draft. We will do that for us. the next. We have a podcast Thursday. We're going to redo this use, question. This is I great. Can't use yards per carry defensively. Yes, no, you can. You can. That that would just oh, okay. be your first round pick. Okay, that's my first. That's round your first round pick. Okay. pick. I'll write it uh, down. But okay. The, the leader. The, go ahead. Tim, my go ahead, first Pete. round pick, uh, since I'm just going to jump O'Malley line here, will be uh, red zone touchdown percentage offense. That's a good one. All right, real fast to catch you guys up. Leader in yards per carry against last year was James Madison. So that doesn't really count. Number two, no, it does. It does. Number, it definitely it counts. Number two, well, Iowa. It's a questionable pick. Number two, Iowa. Number three, Georgia. That counts pretty nicely. Yeah, that and is. number four, near and dear to everybody's heart, the Marshall Thundering Herd for fourth and <laughs> eight. Oh. Um, number not, six. I'm not saying that that's a determining factor. I know. About I know. I'm just saying. I'm going to all these things. Number six was. The Naval Academy, or as Lou Holtz would say, the University of the Naval Academy came in sixth in that regard. Pete, what is yours? We're going to look at the top five. Uh, I have it in front of me right now. It's red zone touchdown percentage offense. Number one was Tennessee. Number three was USC. Number four was Penn State. Number six was Ohio State. Uh, Number 11 was Utah. Number 12 was Clemson. Number 14 was LSU. And Notre Dame was? Number Hold up. I have to do a search because it's a little bit farther down. Yeah, they're, they're right. They're up there. They're in that group. Oh yeah, no, they were nineteenth. Yeah, I the reason I didn't pick that was because they were good at it last year, and so, you know, it's I like I was looking at things where they need to, to improve. Notre Dame was under four per carry, but anyway, uh, I tackles for loss. I mean, any of that stuff, any of that stuff that's disruptive at the line of scrimmage. I still get to draft. I have to draft pick coming here. Yeah, yeah. and I this know is- it's more of an offensive game now, and so that's you know, those are stats that that. Um, that we tend that we point to more now than maybe back when dinosaurs were uh, inhabiting the earth. And I was first covered in Notre Dame. I tell you what, how about uh, my first draft pick is red zone touchdown percentage against since it was so poor last year, a lot of since, room to improve. Well, they were one thirtieth last year, so that was bad. Out of they're, going to be a, they're going to be a lot better in that category. I don't know if that's cyclical, uh, when you're when you're 130, if you're doing a lot wrong, but still, I think they're going to be much better. There's two playoff teams in the top 10 for that last year: Georgia and Michigan. Uh, Alabama was 12th, 
and the University of the Naval Academy was 10th. So here we go, Pete. It's going to get interesting when this game goes on. Mm. All these Navy stats are coming back. <laughs> All right, quick quick hitter here, G Weave 5. Who is currently the third offensive tackle behind Joe Alt and Blake Fisher? Baker, right? He worked That's on the right side last year and the left side this year. He's on so the left side and, and uh, Wagner's on the right side. Yeah, I think it would be Tosh Baker. If you know, I, they needed a new tackle today, it would be Baker. I agree with that. And another quick hitter from El Ganya 97. What true freshman gets the most snaps this season? I wrote one down for offense and one down for defense. I will go Great House for offense and Christian Gray for defense. I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, does that count special teams? No. Then I'm going to great, great house. I think is, is looks like a given right now. I'm I'm going to say I, I, Kristen Gray would go ahead with your special teams one. That's more fun anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think if you include special teams, definitely Kristen Gray, I'm thinking Osbury for special teams and other stuff too. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, even like if, if you have to play a fourth linebacker, I, you know, I know and Drake Bowen's rated higher, et cetera, and Drake Bowen's going to be a good football player. I get that. I just like everything about Osbury that I've seen. Uh, I just don't, don't know where, where do his snaps come from. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's a bad choice from that perspective because he doesn't really fit what they want to do with their their nickel and, and dime. Um, I think he's the most prepared of the, the freshman defensive players, along with Christian Gray, certainly. Uh, moving on to Hayden Adams Z. Did you want to add something there, Tim? No, I think uh, I was going to answer this one because this is this is definitely dedicated to Pete Sampson. Yeah, Hayden Adams Z uh, says Riley Mills made Bruce Feldman's top ten freaks list. That feels like a jinx, like Puxatawney Phil seeing his shadow and signaling six more weeks of winter, or in this case, another season until a breakout. How likely is Riley Mills to finally be a star? On the defensive line, I think pretty likely. I mean, who's the best? He's the best defensive lineman on the team, and he looked um, like it in camp too. He looked, he looked like, it, like it, in it in camp. Um, does that mean it's going to happen? No, but I don't. It's like his measurables are what they are. Like I think people look at this freaks list and be like, "Well, is this supposed to be the top hundred picks in the NFL draft? You idiot. That's not how it works out. Like, no, that's not the, that's not the point of the exercise. Um, it's like the guys who will put up absurd numbers at the combine, which is why Michael Mayer was not on it last year, because as a weight room guy, he is not like off the charts that way. Um, Mills is cam Hart is, um, no, Javante Jean-Baptiste slipping out at the end was a surprise to me. I don't really know that much about him as a weight room guy. Certainly he looks like a million bucks. How about but, a Maureen uh, Walker slipping in there? Ooh, that was a tough one to see. Um, yeah, so that's, I think last year was, was it Mazzy Smith was maybe number one at Michigan? Michigan has had a lot of defensive linemen on the list, and lo and behold, they ended up getting drafted pretty high. So, Well, I think I think Howard Cross the third is the best defensive lineman on the team right now. Can Mills play beyond Howard Cross yeah because of his because of his skill set but he hasn't done that yet but I I understand what you're saying Pete did you did Feldman contact you about input no on I mean he just he just talks to the strength staff um we oh, took okay. we talked a little bit about last year um and he he sent me sort of like 
um, some of the stats on uh, the guys, which I have not got from him this year, but um, you know, Ty- Tyree was up there for top speed. Um, you know, cause really it's, it's sort of on these strength staffs to, to offer up these names. Um, so it's not like, I think people take this as like, well, what does Bruce Feldman know? Like, actually what you're saying is like, well, what does Notre Dame's own strength staff know about Riley Mills in the weight room? Like <laughs> when you put it that way, I think it sounds kind of silly. Cam Hart came in number 32. Uh, well, first of all, Mills had 30 reps at 225, which is good. He had a 635 squat. I think maybe, I mean, this is really impressive. 20.64 miles per hour is what Riley Mills ran. That's very impressive for a guy like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, when you see the when you see the physique, when you see Riley Mills, I mean, that's the first guy off the bus kind of. Yes. Kind of body. Uh, Cam Hart was 32nd and he had a 38 inch vertical. He ran 23.01, which was uh, improvement over 21.7 the previous year, which is really impressive. JJB was number 82 on the list and he ran 20.4 miles per hour, but the, the stat, he had 45 pull ups. That's I'm working an, on one. That's an impress. 45 pull-ups is an wow. impressive number for a guy that's yeah. What's he weigh? 260. For, that, that's an impressive. I would say it's impressive for anyone. Yeah, no. <laughs> of any weight. I, I agree. I agree. I agree. Uh that, that one gets harder the older you get. Take my word for it. 35 inch vertical jump as well. That's uh that's really impressive. But yeah, no, th- this I, I'm you know, glad Houston to, Griffith had a 39 inch vertical leap. Let's yeah. Point that out. Yeah. Um, thanks for inserting that. Uh, I, Pete, I'm glad, I'm glad that you, that you pointed that out because, you know, I, he's not saying Bruce Feldman's not saying he's the fifth best player in the country this year, No, but if you saw him in, if you, when you stand up next to him, it's a, he's a, he's, he's a very impressive guy. Uh, back-to-back questions here. Play like a champ seven. What is the early return on Gino Guadulli? Seems promising thus far, given the improvement of Steve Angeli. And then Denver Maximus says, what difference do you see in Notre Dame having a true quarterbacks coach and that person not having to be the offensive coordinator? I mean, early returns on position coaches are tough. Uh, Gino Gadouli has a really good arm, as Priester pointed out last time we were sitting there. Ball just hums off his hand when he's warming up. People care about that. But I actually do like the uh, quarterback coach that is not the offensive coordinator at times. Um, I don't think it's like you have to go out and hire that, but there's a good to be the specialization of that is I think will help um, Angeli and Minchie's development. And I don't know how much it helps Hartman because I mean, Hartman's in a different, what do they always say that it, it's Chris O'Leary that says level 500 for one of his safeties. I mean, Sam Hartman's at what level 1000 for college quarterbacking right here. So I think uh, early returns are good, but let's, Let's see if Steve Angeli gets thrown to a game, how all this is assimilated for him. Yeah, I mean, look, Angeli has been one of the more improved players, I think, from when last season ended or even when last spring started. Um, So you can get some credit for that. Um, Sam Hartman, I think, like, whether Reese was the coach or Caduli, it's, you know, it's, it's not that far away from the O'Malley, Brian Pulley, and Justin Yoon uh, inside joke about like, what the heck is he telling him about kicking? Like, Sam Hartman's seen everything and done everything. Um, 
So it's kind of too early to tell, but um, I think Kaduli is going to be a good quarterbacks coach, and we'll see if the you know the the recruiting stays with it too. I mean, I think you know some of the identification with Reese maybe was off, but I, I think in terms of getting guys, um, did a pretty good job. So, uh, and then the the quarterbacks coach not being the OC, um, as long as the quarterbacks coach and the OC have a good working relationship, that's fine. Um, which they certainly do now. It's usually when yeah. a loss happens, if you got to work yeah, through long things. and long and Reese were good. Um, I think Gaduli and Parker will be good too, but they've coached a whopping zero games together. So it's kind of hard to say. Yeah. I, you know, I, I've always thought quarterbacks coach slash offensive coordinator is fine. I, I, I get the question now, I guess a little bit because Gaduli is a, I mean, we've enjoyed our interactions with him, and and I mean, he. I don't think you. I don't think he's the type of personality where he's going to snap on his quarterback like Reese did with uh, with his quarterback Pine last year. But you know, I mean, there's a lot more on Tommy Reese's mind when you're the play caller, uh, you know, than just coaching the quarterback. So I think that's fine. I would I would ask this question. You know, I mean, let's say let's say Tommy Reese was still here. And Steve Angeli has looked exactly like he's looked in the preseason. Would Tommy Reese be getting credit for that, Tim O'Malley? No, he wouldn't get credit for anything. Of course, he, no, of course. He so maybe yeah. Angeli was just ready to de- ready to evolve and develop and be more confident. Maybe it was Guduli. I don't know, but I just think it's a perspective. It's like, oh well, look, Angeli's Angeli's a lot better than he was last year. That was the that was the quarterbacks coach. I tell you what, if uh, going back to um, Reese getting on his quarterback, if in when they are playing uh, NC State, if Sam Hartman's Notre Dame offense has 28 yards and four punts in the first quarter and Hartman is four for 10 with 17 passing yards, 0 for three on first down and a fumbled snap, I think he might yell at him. <laughs> he, he might, but it would be Parker's responsibility to yell at him. <laughs> First and then get, then it would be. Good. I think everybody's. I think everybody's going to yell them if that happens. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I'm going to. I'm going to jump ahead here, Tim, and and uh, since we're on this topic, okay. Question from Mother Tucker one: What are the odds that Steve Angeli gets his first start in the bowl game this year? And, <laughs> and of course, <laughs> he's suggesting question. that Sam Hartman would opt out for a bowl game, presumably as he finishes up his six years of college football. Pete Sampson. That's mm, fifty. I mean, I, it's not. It's not something I would just dismiss outright. Um, no, 50-50, I'd say. Because, I mean, who would have, who would have said, oh, Drew Pine's going to opt out of the bowl game? We're like, what <laughs> are you talking about? Um, you know, I don't I don't think in, or I don't think Hartman is as high up a draft board as um, Bosky or Mayer or Hamilton. Kyron's a running not, back, so that's You different. know, is he that far away from where Kyron Williams was? Probably not. Um I would say the odds of it are pretty low for Angeli, but not not so low that I would be like, oh, what a crazy question from Mother Tucker one. I'm <laughs> I'm fifty fifty. I think it's high. I think the odds okay. are high. I would say below fifty fifty, but I but I respect. Well, give me the bowl game too. Your opinion about it, Tim? Yeah, give, give me the bowl game. Well, yeah, that's another. <laughs> that's 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 a real key point as well. Uh, you know, you can't say. Oh well, he's a captain. Of course, he's going to play. That doesn't that that's not the case anymore. Kyle Hamilton and Kyron Williams were captains. Yeah. No, I know. Mayor, I know. I'd say that's cap- was mayor a captain. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, right. that's that's not the case anymore. But 
you know, we don't know Sam Hartman that well right now, to be honest. So it's a little bit more difficult for us to predict that. But interesting question from Mother Mother Tucker one. Yeah, Tim. I was going to say next question was was sent over from last week, Pete, when you left uh, for early. We have this. We save this one for you. Oh, DH DHS Spartan. Besides being an alum or the fact that it's your job, why do you support Notre Dame? This may be a more interesting question for Pete, who may may or may not support Notre Dame. As for me, DHS Spartan is saying, I support ND because, in my opinion, the university tries to do things the right way in general, and in particular regarding the long-term benefits for students and student-athletes. There is no win-at-all-costs while striving to achieve success. Hmm. Um, well, I mean, I don't support Notre Dame, I think, in the way that DHS hs spartan would is using the term support um i like covering notre dame because of the things that dhs spartan points out though where there's this like inherent tension about trying to win at all costs but not at the same time and then you're operating in a sport where people make no apologies at all for trying to win at all costs and notre dame's trying to do it a different way um so that i mean that's why one of the reasons I enjoy covering Notre Dame is just like, it's such a narrative rich place. Um, and, you know, you meet a lot of interesting people along the way too. So that's, that's how I would answer that one. Uh, geez, I was born in it. I mean, I was born in South Bend. I attended my first game in 66 when I was six years old. My first recollection of a Nordin game is the 10, 10 tie uh, against Michigan state in East Lansing. In 67, I saw O.J. Simpson in play in Notre Dame Stadium. In 68, I met the Notre Dame coaching staff, including Joe Yanto and George Kelly, who I would then later cover professionally. Um, you know, and then as far as, like, as far as the academics and everything, we, I, and, I, and I, I've said this before, and Notre Dame won national titles when I was 6, 13, and 17. So it's easy now to look back and say, well, I, you know, I love Notre Dame because, I respect what they do academically and they do things right. But that was part of the narrative with Notre Dame then that look at the success they're having and look how they go about doing it with student athletes. So it was a gimme for me. Um, and then to have the opportunity to spend a lifetime covering football, being a sports journalist and doing it. Uh, it's kind of been ingrained, kind of been a, Kind of uh, very much been a gimme and an easy choice for me. We're going to wrap up with a uh, interesting question from Pin and Poll, and that is rank this team's trash talkers. Um, uh, Jaden Mickey. After Jaden Mickey, who would you put number after? Two? Yeah, Jaden Mickey is the oh. most uh, usual or most vociferous, <laughs> um, the one that needs to be tamped down a little bit. And as somebody said on the board. If Tim O'Malley says somebody's trash talk had to be reined into one practice, I trust Tim O'Malley on that because, as you know, I enjoy my trash talk and watching it happen. Uh, that was one time it had to be reined in, by the way. Uh, well, the new contender here is also pretty funny about it is Jason Anye because Jason Anye was getting under some offensive line skin when we were there. He had Blake Fisher really mad to the point where his trash talk to Blake Fisher was. Blake Fisher's mad. Blake Fisher's mad. And Pete and I thought that would just be the one thing that makes you want to punch someone more than anything <laughs> in the world is someone saying that to you. Um, he had Joe Ald upset. So Anya's up there. Going back a couple of years, we all know J.D. Bertrand just could not stop talking trash two years ago. I assume it slowed down a little because I don't see it as much now. But he 
the thing he said to Quinn Carroll, I really think forced the transfer, honestly, when he when he hit him that hard. That was that was quite a thing. And then it looks like Jalen Steed's got a few words to say as well. Yeah. I think Bertrand is Bertrand's kind of like like you didn't I don't think people on the outside realize that Alohi Gilman was talking so much trash. And oh, I think yeah, yeah. I, yeah, but I don't think I don't think a lot of fans necessarily realize that. I think Bertrand kind of falls into that category too. That you don't, you know, it's like, well, JD Bertrand, the two-time captain. And no, no, no. He's he says a lot. He can, no, yeah, he, yeah. he absolutely does. I don't know that I would say Jason Anya is a <laughs> trash talk. I, I mean, I'm, I mean, he's a. It's a. It's kind of a good-natured taunting, but it, uh, it gets yeah. under the skin of <laughs> line. I, don't, I think the I think he did a victory lap on a third down stop. Right, ran right through the offense's did, huddle too when that happened. But, having fun, man. Yeah. That's all. I'm sure it was fun for Blake Fisher and Joe Alt to watch it. I don't know yeah. that we like we've been talking about how how outspoken a camp it's been, but I don't know that we have a long list of guys. Well, those uh, four I really noticed. Mickey, yeah, Sneed, no, I would agree. Batel, I mean, Batello, Batello must be in that group, right? I mean, he has, actually, he, probably, are, yeah, yeah. So I will tell you this: I asked Isaiah Foskey, who's not a trash talker at all. <laughs> Uh, if there was a bigger trash talker in the world that doesn't act like one to the media than J.D. Bertrand, because that was his roommate. Remember, oh, J.D. Bertrand was Foskey's oh, yeah. roommate. And Foskey said, well, no, Bertrand's at the top of the list for trash talking. He said, oh, wait, Marist. So Marist Leofow must oh, be one, too. Really? I never would have predicted yeah, that. Apparently, Marist has a lot to say on the field, according to Isaiah Foskey. He says most of it on the field because he doesn't have a ton to say when... <laughs> When talking with us, that's, yeah. that's interesting. You know what? This is a good question to ask the players. We should have done it to start a camp. We'd have a really good, we'd have a really good story now. Yeah. Kyron was I one. Would... I mean, Kyron was. Oh, too late. oh, Kyron was big time. It's not too late. We can start asking that question. Could, could we see Hartman being up there? Cause I feel I like I could say some think? stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Aud- well, Audric would Audric just I, I I did write Estime's name down. Yes. I don't know if Watts is <laughs> he would be good natured trash talk, uh, Audric Estime. He would be the good natured, yeah. I think. Like Bert, I don't think Anya is good natured. I want to I want to explore this a little bit more. <laughs> just because you're funny doesn't mean you don't mean to be <laughs> I hear you. No, uh, he's there's some taunting involved. Yes, yes. There's no doubt about that. All right, we're gonna wrap up here today. Uh Iris Illustrated Insider. We will be back in two days on Thursday where our schedule is forcing us to record a little bit later in the day. So expect it to come later in the day, but, uh, but we'll be back on Thursday, August 17th and a week from tomorrow, Wednesday, August 16th, O'Malley and I are leaving for uh, Dublin. Pete, are you leaving that day? Wednesday? I'm leaving on Wednesday. Yep. Yep. No, Wednesday we get, we arrive. We arrive in Dublin at like five a.m. Dublin time Thursday. Is that right? Yes. Yes. It is. Like it is that. exactly right. Be- is that is <laughs> that what is that the uh, what your paper tickets say? <laughs> uh, we, if this yeah, doesn't work out. Pete. I have a I have a paper ticket. Oh, I, nice. do. <laughs> I don't have a paper ticket. I'm and just working. That's why well, I, I I thought I I was sent to me. I thought I better print that out, Tim. I don't have a paper ticket to print out yet. I'm going to be watching. I can. Pete's already pointed this out. I will be watching this game at Frontera Grill at O'Hare four <laughs> days later. And Jack, that is going to be one expensive bar bill. 
So uh, that's that's I don't like my ticket situation right now, but I have so much faith that coming through, I will stop talking about it right now. Well, we appreciate everybody listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. We encourage those that aren't subscribers to check out irishillustrated.com. We're just scratching the surface of Notre Dame information in our podcast. Please take a look at what we do on a daily basis. Until Thursday, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, Pete Sampson. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider. Did you know that over 10 million pints of Guinness are consumed every single day? Dublin is the home of this very famous Irish stout, where it's brewed, stored and distributed worldwide. And if you're visiting Dublin, the Do Dublin Hop On, Hop Off bus tour is the perfect way to explore the city and its iconic landmarks, including the Guinness Storehouse. Book your tickets now at dodublin.ie forward slash Irish Illustrated to secure your spot on the tour. But hurry, spaces are filling up fast.